the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm going to be discussing the future of the Irish Stock Exchange in the wake of CRH's plan to quit its listing in Dublin and a report within the Department of Finance raising concerns about the market's future. You'll hear from Arthur Beasley of the Irish Times and stockbroker Ronan Reid on this issue in a few moments. In the second half of the show, Barry Halloran of the Irish Times will explain why booking agent Ticketmaster is offering incentives to GAA County Boards to choose it as the platform to sell their match tickets. But first to the Irish Stock Exchange, formerly known as Euronext Dublin. A recent report produced in the Department of Finance raised the red flag about its future, given the imminent departure of CRH from the Dublin market to the US and the possible loss of Paddy Power owner Flutter, which is also planning to shift its primary listing to the US. Ronan Reid is Chief Executive of Cantor Fitzgerald Ireland, one of the biggest stockbrokers in the country, and you'll hear his views shortly. But first, Arthur Beasley, who last week revealed the details of the Department of Finance report. I began by asking him why exactly officials there have raised concerns about the future of the Dublin Stock Exchange. Well, Ciarán, this goes back to a decision of CRH, the former cement Roadstone Holdings, uh, back in March when it said that it was going to move its primary stock market listing to the United States. And the upshot of that is that CRH will be leaving the Irish stock market. It will maintain a secondary listing in the London exchange. Now, there was a lot of fretting. Now, London was actually the primary yeah, listing. Exactly, yeah. It? No, it was they a lot of fretting. Yes, they Dublin had. Yeah, there was a lot of fretting in London because they're going to leave the FTSE 100. But arguably, the issues are bigger here because of the very scale of CRH. Compounding the problem for the Irish Stock Exchange is the fact that Flutter, which is which owns Paddy Power, has also called into question its Irish listing by saying it will pursue a US listing. Now, it hasn't said it's going to leave the Stock Exchange in Dublin, but there's clearly a question there. And that is why the Department of Finance have been looking at the future of the exchange. The owners of the exchange, that's Euronext, headquarters in the Netherlands, they, went to, they wrote to the finance minister, they wrote to Simon Coveney as well, the Minister for Enterprise, saying uh, you need to intervene here, you need to help persuade these companies to maintain an Irish listing. And that is that was the catalyst for officials in the department to, to take a look. And this is uh, this is a trend that's been going on for a long number of years, Arthur, isn't it? I mean, a lot of a lot of big companies on the Irish market have gone uh, to London. In some cases, maybe a couple have, have gone to the US um, and some have delisted altogether. Well, it's uh, arguably it's part of the natural evolution of a of of companies. You have companies established in Ireland which grow to a particular scale. They take out an Irish listing, and you see in the case of CRH or indeed Flutter that they become more international companies, global companies than Irish companies. So you could argue that's part of their corporate evolution. This is a global CRH. This is a globalized business, biggest operator in its field in the world. But it does raise the questions as to what companies are joining the exchange uh, and thereby going on to the path that might ultimately lead them to become uh, global players in their own right. And there's definitely a deficit there. So this is not a these are not new questions, but they are particularly acute in a scenario where two of the biggest beasts in the market may well be on their way. 
Ronan Reid, you're a former member of the board of the Irish Stock Exchange and you've run a, a couple of stockbroking companies in Dublin, Dolman and Cantor Fitzgerald. So how big a loss would CRH be to the Dublin market? It, well, to an extent, not, not a huge loss because you can trade as easily in any of the markets. So I look at it from the perspective of the issuer, which is CRH, the infrastructure, that's the exchange and everybody and also the investors. From the investor's perspective, it, it's not a particular challenge. And actually, the bigger the exchange, the, the easier it is to get connectivity. People you deal with, we can deal in any market at any stage uh, with ease. I think for the issuer, for CRH, probably, you, I, th- I think you got to remember that CRH are very heavily invested in probably federal water contracts in the States. Being a non-US listed entity would possibly work against that. They're also really acquisitive. So issuing shares and ultimately an Irish-based company would make things tricky. The Albert Manifeld has always been clear that growth is in the U.S., so he kind of has followed that mantra. I think for the exchange itself, I think an important thing is we often address the exchange and think of the big companies. But first and foremost, the Irish exchange is the number one leading exchange for listing bond funds in the world. That's why Euronex probably bought it, was our fund and bond listing. To have local companies based here, you need a lot of asset managers. We don't have a huge amount of asset managers here. And what all companies pursue is to be included in bigger indices. I would say CRH's ambition will be the S&P 500 because then everybody buys your shares because it's one of the bigger indices. The FTSE 100 has struggled. I mean, not only has has the Irish exchange struggled, but it has struggled. Uh, It looked to try and get ARM to list, but ARM, one of the biggest chip manufacturers, chip licensing, went, went for the U.S., Valuations are a big factor, Uh, like typically valuations are slightly higher in the US, deeper, broader base of it. So I I think it is, and I heard the comments uh, from from the exchange and Department of Finance about stamp duty, but stamp duty is an anomaly somewhat in Ireland and the UK, isn't always in other markets, isn't charged. It's 1% here, um, it is half percent in the UK. So I wonder long term how sustainable that probably was in the first instance. I think a local exchange is really important if you're raising capital, but then you need an investor community that subscribes it. So the amount of new capital raises subscribed by institutions here is limited. So for me, it, it becomes slightly slightly less relevant, but I'm not surprised at the move of the bigger companies. That's that's where they naturally move to. Everybody wants to move to the biggest league. Is there a future then for the Irish stock market in terms of trading equities? I think there's, there's a limited future, I think, for kind of mid-cap companies that will dual list here in the UK. Yeah, for large caps, they may go further abroad to get into the larger indices. I mean, there's so much now compared to 10 or 15 years ago of what index you're in, what your ESG criteria are, so many other things that pertain to how people buy and where they buy your shares. A lot of passive investing comes. I mean, one of the largest asset managers here is Irish Life, which is heavily passive-based. So it looks at what the indices are. So you want to be in the biggest ind- index. like, And they tried to set up an exchange-traded fund matching the ISEC before, and it didn't have a huge amount. So a regionally-based exchange has limited capability. It, it is always important for formation of capital where people want to raise money. But to do that, you need a really vibrant and big local asset manager. We used to have several. Now we've only a handful.
Who did we have previously? The likes of Bank of Ireland Asset Management and subsequently sold all the difficulties that went in. You have quite a number of the Italian asset managers are based here, but they would focus on European indices, the Eurostox 50. They would focus on the S&P 500. Pioneer were here. I think they're yeah. under a different yeah, name, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, they're all, they're all, yeah. yes, they've all changed names quite a few times. But there isn't a very large number that you would find like you know in London you'd find quite a range of asset managers mid cap asset managers large cap asset managers so generally we have a small group of listed companies yeah do you think intervention by the government whomever that might be within government would make any difference in this scenario i i don't think so i think really if it, like you know I, I I think their appeal to them to stay here or maintain it, people will pay attention, but they might option they might opt for a junior listing here in some form, which everybody will go and trade the trade the main line of the stock all the time. I mean, the exchange tried to address this, I think, in 2017 with Aileen O'Donoghue under a North American uh, initiative where we would have fungible shares with some with with some of the U.S. exchanges. Didn't really take hold with some of the issuers and some of the U.S. side of it. Um, the, the likes of some of the U.S. exchanges don't like dual-listed companies. Like the, They would want junior listings. They don't like them generally, so they would regard themselves as those global exchanges. So I think it's a trend that's probably unlikely to reverse. Will it affect? Will government, if the government really wanted to do it, they'd also incentivize staying here. They'd look at things like stock options, that you have to list them here. There's plenty of things that they could consider, but I don't think it's high on their agenda. Arthur, the department paper uh, mentions one company that could be a, a potential candidate, as it puts it, uh, to flee the the Irish market, if you like, to, to leave the Irish market. Who's that? Dlambia, uh, and not not only Dlambia, they mention uh, Kingspan as well, and also possibly Kerry Group. Now, Dlambia is adamant that it has no plans to take out a US listing. So too is But it is Kingspan. now reporting in dollars. But Lambia is reporting in dollars. And it, it's notable that uh, CRH is a company that uh, reports in, in dollars. Now, Lambia is a company which is in a different order of scale. CRH is considerably larger. But it's certainly there as a question. And it seems to be no accident that the name appears in this paper of the Department of Finance, which is a private paper, if you like, for the minister, briefing note released under Freedom of Information. So not a document that was written to be published in the first instance. So I think what we're getting here is a pretty true and fair view of the department's assessment of what's going on. Yeah, Glambia, of course, has decoupled itself from the dairy assets of old. So it's, Absolutely. it's foc- focused now on uh, nutrition's and... Um, Very much so. It's, it, this is, this, this, this is now on a, a company which is on a, a different trajectory to yeah. the, the origin company, if you, if you like, which had its, its, its roots in, in Irish dairy. Yeah. You're a man with your ear to the ground, uh, Ronan. What's your view on Glambia? I, 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 I mean, what, you, you tend to look at the motivation. People aren't going to go to the trouble of lifting and moving a listing and getting shareholder consents and everything. I mean, Kingspan decided to to not not to move from the UK because it was a cost, and I think 98% of their shareholders voted it. I think that was because only 2% of their shares traded. So I think if you look at Glambia, what would motivate them to do it? I think, firstly, if they were unhappy with their valuation, probably 
some degree of that of concern. If you're going to acquire in the U.S., you want to be able to issue your own shares that are U.S., that somebody in the U.S. knows they can trade them easily in dollars. That would be the other m motivation. And I think always the, the, the food companies have always been innovators, whether it's Columbia or Kerry. So always a risk. I mean, I think Flutter has, has been earmarked as well and, 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 and other companies. I mean, their job, it, it, if, if they're still using capital, or they want to acquire using their shares, they will go to a bigger market. Yeah, Flutter had results out today, and the business in the U.S. is now profitable, they're, they're saying. Uh, um, and it is looking at the U.S. listing, as, as Arthur mentioned, but we're not sure where it stands on Dublin. Any sense? That you're no, no, I, I, no sense at all. Um, um, I, uh, I mean, Paul Corrine, I think, is the head of legals. He was an Arthur Cox. I, do, I, I don't, I don't know where they stand on it. I, I think it'll come down again to they're, they're after a period of intense mergers and acquisitions. They're absorbing, re, like you know, absorbing the businesses, growing profitability. So it'll depend on really who they're servicing. Like I always think, when you think of where you're based, what, who your stakeholders you're worried about, your shareholders are clearly one people you're probably going to acquire where your board needs to be if most of your activities are in the u.s be there i mean i, I had a boss who once used to tell me whatever country you're in open the local paper where you are because that's the place you're in so if you're doing all your business in the states well then that'll become a feature point a, 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 a feature point to how they do the business or if that's where the growth is and that's where and that's where Flutter clearly sees the growth. They, they you know they believe there's an untapped market there. This is a market which is opening up. It's liberalising. Sports gambling is now uh, it's now on the agenda in in American commerce in a way that it never was previously. Before, regulation is a you're absolutely correct, Arthur. Regulation is a big issue with gaming stocks, like you know how they address it, how they deal with it, and picking which market that they're based in in part. But I I think the the relevance like and 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 reading the Department of Finance report. Yes, they, they lose stamp duty in some aspects to it, but if they appreciate over time and Irish investors hold it, they get capital gains tax. So there's always swings and roundabouts in any calculation that arises in some form, in some form or other. I think you have to look at what loses out. I think better served for an from an economic perspective is probably capital formation in the earlier stages, small mid-cap companies, how they get from being five and ten to twenty to fifty million, how they raise ten million locally. I think this has been a well trodden path of how you grow those. I think once you've made it and you're making a lot of money, you will pick the most effective market. And I think capital formation is really important. Yeah, companies uh, come and go of course on the stock markets. Uh, we haven't really had any IPOs for for a while in in, in Dublin. Uh, you know, we've had a few small ones, but yeah. but nothing of any great size, have we? And COVID obviously um, yeah, COVID not interrupted and, things. And, and also, I think you had like you know during periods of zero interest rates, there aren't as many IPOs. Some of the tech IPOs didn't come. And if you're tech based, everything was focused on tech. Like people forget this year that the growth in markets is really attributable to about eight companies. They're all all tech. Like, you know, they contribute, I think, 85, 90% of, of market of, of equity market growth. So tech companies are very much the four, and tech companies only really list in the States because that's yeah. where they're appreciated. I mean, I, I saw some of the comments from the London Stock Exchange, Disappointment and Arm and others. For years, the London Stock Exchange called tech companies support services where they're actually technology companies. So they go to NASDAQ because then there's a well-treaded path of that. Yeah, sure. I mean, a company like Stripe, 
you might think. I mean, we talked about an IPO there for a long number of years. They've now got their joint global headquarters in Dublin, haven't they? And it's obviously founded by two very smart uh, Irish guys. There's plenty plenty of history of listing of technology companies in the States, but headquartered here. I think that's never been a difficulty. People are happy to do it um, in terms of tech businesses. I don't see that. I mean, uh, Wayfair, Stripe, there are others that will be out there as well. Yeah. Ryanair had a, a listing um, in the US, which I, I think is it has. It used to have an ADR. I can't yeah. remember whether it's still there. Or not. Yeah, I think yeah. it's. I think it's gone. Actually, it's gone. Yeah. It's gone the other way. But then Ryanair is a slightly different case, in that the majority of its shareholders have to be European, don't they? Under EU yeah, law. Yeah, under under EU law, majority of them have to be. And there's also some restrictions on ADR about the amount that trades mm. if you do an ADR instead of going for a full listing over time. And and yeah, they've always been based closer to home. So what impact of any, Ronan, does this have on local stockbrokers on the Davies, the Good Buddies, your company? We, we don't rely on the Irish Stock Exchange. I mean, we, we all disposed of our interests a number of years ago. I think we would see... You were as, shareholders in the, yeah, the old Irish Stock yeah, Exchange and, before and you were an exporter. So, so the first thing is the Irish Stock Exchange, as, as, as I was saying, is, is the major leader in bond, listing of bonds and listing of funds. That's endemic to a lot of things that go on in the industry here and employ. So fund administration, fund custodian businesses, listing of securitizations, things like aircraft in- industry, all that is quite important. They're all part of that infrastructure, that ecosystem. So that part of it remains quite important, very important of what it does. I think to brokers such as ourselves, Davies, Goobodies, I, I don't see it like whether it is here or London. Like, you know, I'm part of a global group, so we have trading floors in London and, and, and the US, so we can trade anywhere. Davy have an operation in London. Goobodies have an operation in London. So it doesn't hugely impact us. We equally trade either line. We just look at what's more liquid and what can be traded. Our obligation is always to get best price, price for clients, so you just see where it's offered best on screens. Liquidity pools will always be deeper in the UK, typically. Sometimes they're deeper here the odd time in some of the shares. I think Kingspan is a good example. There's been local. That'll normally be reflected by really good local analysts who are very strong in one area, so they get some of the order orders that flow from institutions. But it is limited. Like, no, no matter what it is, it does have a limited part. It doesn't really affect it. I mean, it's a global exchange. But, you know, the likes of Davy and Goodbody in particular would have been brokers to a lot of uh, the big companies on the Irish market. And that generated a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of fees, didn't yeah. it? So presumably and, that, and kind of, that kind yeah, of business that, that, is gone. That will, that, that will impact. But I think for all of us, our, our business transformed to wealth management is the major drivers of our business has been. It certainly would impact Goobody's and, mm-hmm. and uh, Davies. I mean, for example, the investment banking side is done by our sister company in the UK because there isn't a lot of business to be done here. Um, it tends to be more private transactions. Yeah, it will impact part of the revenues. But on the other side of it, the growth in markets, the growth in wealth management, has made other parts of the business uh, perform well. And clearly that was the focus when acquired by Bank and AIB. All they made reference to a lot of the time was not the capital market activities, but the wealth management activities. Yeah. Arthur, any sense that the government is going to uh, try to intervene in any way or might move on, on any of these issues? Um, very little. I mean, I suppose the, the significance of the paper is that this is clearly something they are thinking about, but it doesn't seem to be a top order priority if you like right and there's no sense that there's a there's no sense of political urgency around these questions notwithstanding these kind of this work that's going on in the background um, I think there is I think there is a 
There are questions, however, around what what might be done to make it easier for smaller companies to actually join the exchange, to raise what might be considered to be relatively small amounts of money. You talk to people around and business people say this is really hard. It's kind of there's a sense that the thing is uh, that it's a, it's difficult. It's a difficult exchange to join uh, in the way it's set up at the moment and that is more straightforward for uh, companies of a certain scale here to look beyond Dublin and maybe consider taking out a listing in London, right? And that has to be, it seems to me, that has to be a problem because all of these companies that become big, be globe-bestriding giants, they have to start somewhere. And if there's no avenue to bring a growing albeit relatively small Irish company to the public market here, well then there'd be nothing there'd be there be, be no pipeline of new companies joining the exchange. And I think that is a problem. And I think their competition is the AIM exchange in the UK yeah. as well. Well I was going to say yes. we have the ESM yeah. secondary market in Dublin, which does have some members, a small number, but it does have some So that's numbers. where you should that's that's important. They are Generally, they're regarded as slightly junior exchanges, whether it's AIM or whether it's ESM, but that's where they should go for raising money for companies that need money for capital formation in sectors that are really strong, technology or other sectors here. But there hasn't been shown any policy initiative to do that. When you do it in the UK, there are certain things. They have the equivalent of EIS. There's capital gains exemptions when people hold on to the shares for periods. So they look to reward taking risk in venture capital stages. The hardest thing, private equity, when you want to do big deals and later, is easy to raise. It's got a little bit harder since interest rates made up. But raising venture and seed capital is really hard still in Ireland. No matter what you look at, you always see family, friends, Enterprise Ireland and a series of others, whereas people want to raise 5 or $10 million. And I think a vibrant junior exchange would work an awful lot better in terms of job and, and local capital formation. But to the question as to whether it's a political priority, I mean, we've had a lot more talk. There's nearly constant talk around the, the dangers inherent in our reliance on the the flow of corporate tax revenues from very large global tech companies and global pharma companies you can you can you can there's hardly a month goes by where this isn't discussed at the level of the department of finance and ministers in in our economic debate there's very there's relatively little debate around these issues and around what, what can be done uh, in terms of the the stock exchange here well and, and i think and you have to look at the the development of the stock exchange since also acquired by Euronex. it's clearly had a flow which has been into the bond and fund listing. While it said it wanted to grow the sales side, it actually employs less people than when we when we owned it. Now, its profitability is significantly up, so they've run it well, but the, the numbers are down and the areas that we'll focus on makes reference to its preeminent position in bond and fund listing. So I agree with you. I think if a government is moving on it, you'll hear something on making it more attractive for people to list here in some sense. Share op- stock options is certainly one way they could consider it which is stock options, some type of tax break, but that aligned to having a local listing in some way. In his letter to the Minister of Finance, Michael McGrath, Darrell Byrne, who's the chief executive of Euronext Dublin, warned of a potential loss to the Exchequer of up to €300 million Euro in tax revenue, which is presumably stamp duty income. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know how much of that's related to CRH, probably a fair chunk. Uh, but yeah. is, is, that a, is that a reasonable uh, warning? I mean, it's probably a bit ironic, isn't it? Because they were, they were arguing for the stamp duty, and probably in your time as well, arguing for the stamp duty to be removed. We made plenty of, of cases when we were, because other exchanges when pursuing listing would talk to companies and say, hey, there's a 
duty on your investors and international investors couldn't understand it like you know so there is an irony of of now advocating it i'd also say that like at the end of the day over time the scale of multinationals have, has, have, have a much bigger impact on our tax. And as I was saying earlier, if you go to a foreign market, your listing grows over time. There's also capital gains tax as well that feeds in as part of that, as part of the same equation. So stamp duty is 1% of the capital. Uh, capital gains is is 33% of the gain. So I think over time, I mean, they're making the case for it, but I, I, I cannot see a government really putting it on the high and priority list. We couldn't get them to put stamp duty, the removal of it on the priority list. It was just a non-starter all the time. Yeah. What about retail investors here uh, in terms of CRH moving to the US? Uh, to the US? What's the impact for them? Because I would imagine there's quite a few small retail investors in CRH. So what do they do in terms of their shares? How do they trade? The, what the, are the, the costs? The shares will just relist, so it'll be fungible. They'll just get news. Most people don't hold share certs nowadays anyway. They hold electronic form. Share certs are due to be phased out in a couple of years. So most of them are electronic form, so they will just translate to being a U.S. holding. I think the main impact to them will be they'll have a currency exposure they didn't have before. You can argue that hypothetically already did because they report in dollars, they earn in dollars or otherwise, but they will see. So if the dollar moves, they'll see the share price moving. I think that's the most tangible. Other than that, everything else will just flow. They'll just get a statement saying instead of being in the Irish equity portion, you're now in the U.S. equity portion. Some, I mean, a lot of them might just choose to sell because it's not worth the hassle of... Yeah, although they, they, they won't have to consent. I mean, I, CRH won't go to this unless it has institutional equity support. And if it has institutions supported, then it's done. And if it's done, then all that happens is they, they'll go from one set of CRH shares to another set of CRH shares. And that's it. And uh, I suspect in a lot of cases, they won't do anything. They'll just wait and then see how the US share line performs and then decide whether they trade it. Is it a blow to the status of the Irish market to lose somebody like CRH, which dominates the market in terms of uh, market value, let's let's face it? Um, or is it just one of those things? I think it's, it's a good question. I mean, it's one of those things that when people see it as a headline, it looks like a blow. I think in the infrastructure and development of financial services, it's, it's not enormous. I mean, I think for me, if I compared it to Barclays saying we're going to move our European headquarters to Paris, that's a bigger blow to Dublin. For me, really, than, than necessarily done. Why? Because it employs people. At the end of the day, it employs people. And if your headquarters is moving to another country, somebody has made a statement. And if they're moving there, ultimately it leads to strategic focus, to things that happen there, etc. So for me, things like that, anything that moves jobs or other aspects to me is more significant. I don't see a job loss. I'd see it just as a revenue loss yeah. in terms of the business. I do think it's some of the local, you're absolutely correct, actually, when I thought about the corporate broken fees of some of my competitors will be impaired and probably some of the legal and accountancy fees will be impaired. But those businesses have done really well the last five, seven years. Yeah, we should say, Arthur, that CRH is going to continue to be headquartered in Dublin and tax domiciled here. And I guess that's important. Oh, oh, yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, and I mean, we've had we've had cases before. I mean, where you had, I mean, one is long enough around at this point to recall uh, writing the market report in this newspaper day by day, where every single move in Elan shares back in the day uh, meant that the entire Irish index was going up or down, uh, and the direction was wholly, de- almost wholly dependent on uh, the direction of travel for Elan shares. So, I mean, companies. Uh, come, and come and go, but uh, this is a company which has been around for decades. 
decades and decades, and um, it is and was a uh, traditional a industrial company. Absolutely, and and I mean, th- this is a moment. You know, I mean, this is something. I mean, when there was uh, relatively little Irish co- successful Irish commerce to speak of. Irish commerce that was able to go out and create a, an international business. This was one of the uh, the grand breakers long before there was anything, any talk of a Celtic Tiger and all and all that came in its wake. So it is a moment, and it, and it came out of the formation of a lot of the early entrees here of Penn Chemicals, Pfizer, and others. So when you have an infrastructure and an industry that's really strong, that's why for me, financial services is very strong in Dublin. It's a big employer. Like, you know, the fund administration, the fund custodian businesses, they're not only in Dublin, they're in Limerick, they're in Wexford, they're in other cities, they're in Cork, they're in other cities, cities around. You have NASDAQ with a subsidiary in, just outside Belfast. So you have, you have quite a lot of financial services infrastructure the same way you had originally pharmaceutical and if you look at those foreign investments it's predominantly pharmaceutical medical device and technology they're all they're in the top 10 companies they all sit there the creation of boston scientific and galway has spun about 20 companies out so if you're going to have a junior exchange have it around that that somebody who comes out of that company goes hey i can raise some money and then i can in two years time i can go and list on a junior exchange and raise some more money and that there's actually an infrastructure that sits around that. I think that's pretty important. Ironically, the demise of GPA might have been one of the best things that ever happened for the Irish aircraft leasing industry because there were a lot of people who worked for GPA who then went off um, to do their own thing or to work for other companies. And we now have a massive aircraft leasing, I think, eight or nine of the top ten. Aircap, the largest capitalised one in the world, is is headquartered here in Dublin in part. And with the likes of Avalon and others. Yeah, Avalon and Avalon sold... You've Standard Chartered, Air, Ergo under Freddie Brown. You've a whole series of different aircraft leasing. And that is a whole infrastructure into the financial services. Not only did it do that, it then spun off quite a lot in the renewable energy. The first, like, you know, couple of people in renewable energy, some of them actually came from aircraft leasing because it wasn't as similar to putting up a pile on, to getting a deposit, winning your planning, winning your tax. There were similar structures in it. It brought out that expertise. So I think always if you want the development of your economy, it's into centres of excellence. Like Nokia spun off so many technology in, in the Scandinavian countries, uh, security technology. So I think, yeah, focus on the areas that we're good at. Yeah. Does this mean, does this hasten the day when CRH will have an American chief executive? Albert Malifaux is the best person place to, to ask that, um, given that I also work for a U.S. company. Uh, I, no, I don't think so. I think if someone's doing a good job and they're headquartered here, I mean, he came through the business itself. He was on the M&A side. So you'll always see it. I mean, succession gets planned. So, so you'll always see it coming through. I mean, you could see that he was going to be the leader of the business over time. You can see the flow of that in themselves. So uh, those aspects to it. So I don't think so, no. Finally, to wrap up, Ronan, uh, questions maybe as to whether the Irish banks, AIB and uh, Bank of Ireland will continue to have their primary listings here. And of course, they could be in play. They're hugely profitable now. We're in a a market with essentially only uh, three players left standing. So um, they could be taken over by an international uh, group. But do you you see in the long term a future for, for those banks in the Irish market? Well, I, I think they'll remain listed here. The irony is the state still a shareholder in two out of the three. And I think the chances of them, like, you know, the, the, they certainly will be disappointed at their current rating. Racing, they trade at a discount to their book value. Um, higher interest rates is making them really profitable. There's no doubt they don't pay out in current accounts and, and loan amounts are up. 
I don't think there'll be any rush for people to acquire them in here because we've two banks leaving. Like, you know, that has had asked people. And that's not necessarily everybody can jump up and down and say it's this, it's regulation, it's other things. Some of it is the size and the scale of the market as well, that people don't have the focus to it. I would imagine that as long as they have state shareholders and state engagement, I think they would have a slightly more difficult conversation with Michael McGrath than maybe Albert Malifold would have. I think Michael McGrath would have a, a greater lean with um, on, the, on the banking side than... Uh, than he ever would with CRH. Well, that's true. Of course, Flutter, we, yeah. we saw that in Britain, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in the aftermath of the Nigel Farage uh, bank account scandal with yeah. Coots and yeah. uh, the NatWest chief executive, yeah. Alison Rose, had to go uh, amid political pressure. Well, the, the, the central bank, I mean, they, they issued a report on content and culture in the banks in 2018. They keep a close eye on it. And I think also, whether it's Pascal Donoghue or Michael McGrath, they've all both been very clear on their perspective of conduct and banks. So I don't think they'll see them going anywhere. They also have quite a big, they would have a big percentage of retail shareholding customers here, not only customers, but also shareholders here. Yeah, sure. But like Bank of Ireland does not have a state involvement now at this stage. It is going to be throwing off a lot of cash over the next few years, you know, barring another accident, another COVID or another financial crash or whatever. Um, it also has a presence in, in the UK. So would that not be attractive to an international investor, given that there are only three players left in the market here? Albeit it's a small market, but still profitable. Yeah, I mean, in, in part, I'd probably say the state isn't a shareholder. It's definitely a stakeholder. Like, you know, it sets rules in the industry. It sets parameters around a rake of different things. I think the the, the UK interest, the post office, probably a slight drag on the rating of the entity itself. It's the domestic business that's going well. And we've got to remember, overseas investors bought into it and sold out of it, like, you know, a number of years ago. So you would you, you could certainly see, I don't think you'd see it necessarily a takeover of the Irish banks. I think you might see a strategic shareholder come in who brings them other things that they don't necessarily have. They're all very focused on their domestic businesses now. They've acquired two of my competitors. Like, you know, AIB is setting up a joint venture life company with Irish Life. So they're getting back to the knitting of their business. And I think they continue to focus in, in, in those areas. At some point, you might get somebody who takes a stake in them because, A, they can help them provide access to things that they don't have with the part of a bigger international entity. But I think people will be slow to acquire. You can't but fail with the headline that, like, you know, KBC pulled out, Ulster Bank pulled out of Ireland. So you can't but fail with that, which does reduce competition. And I think that's that's a bad thing. You'd love to see other lenders come in here, but I don't think they're going to rush to come in right at the moment. All right, Ron Reid and Arthur Beasley, thank you for joining us. We're going to take a short break now. When I return, I'll be talking to Barry O'Halloran about Ticketmaster's incentives to GA county boards to sell their match tickets on its platform. Back in a few moments. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Now, earlier this week, Barry Halloran of the Irish Times wrote a story detailing the incentives that global booking agent Ticketmaster has offered GA County boards to sell their tickets. Barry joined me by phone to discuss the story, and I began by asking him to outline the incentives on offer to the various units of the GA. Kieran, the way this works is that Ticketmaster is offering county boards 
a 15% rebate on commissions they paid the company last year on ticket sales, plus a 7,500 uh, loyalty credit bonus for signing up to the Ticketmaster Universe app for another period, for I think it's, I, I think it may be three years. Um, this email went around from GAHQ to the county boards earlier on this year. Now, the information we have is that so far, not everyone has signed up. Okay, so what's the import of this? Uh, sorry, why, why is this an issue? I mean, they're obviously trying to win the business. Would it not be the normal course of business that you would you would incentivize uh, the customer to, to go your way as opposed to with one of the other operators in the ticket market? Um, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And Ticketmaster is subject to a court order that was issued in 2020 following uh, a Competition and Consumer Protection Commission investigation. That order limits the use of exclusive agreements and it also limits the use of upfront payments, particularly where they are designed to get around or avoid uh, other terms and conditions in that in that agreement. Now, Ticketmaster is very adamant that it is uh, complying with all terms of the order. Um, and th- we have no indication from the authorities that it is not. And it, I, it, arguably these are, I mean, what you're really talking about here is you, you, you're, you'd be looking at getting into whether or not these count as, as upfront payments and you know what qualifies as an upfront payment and so forth. Arguably they're not because many of them are because they are actually tied to uh, previous year's outgoings or previous year's turnover. So, um, I mean, that's not really a question that, that I can answer. And Barry, this is related to club games that are taking place in individual counties as opposed to the inter-county matches between, uh, you know, the likes of Dublin, Kerry, Cork, Mayo, whatever. Yeah, these are these are basically club championship games, and, and a lot of those club championships uh, within the counties are kicking off, or are certainly they're ramping up a gear now. These are an important part of of the GA. In fact, they're really kind of core to it, um, core to the organisation, core to what the organisation does. I mean, we're all obviously very familiar with the the the, the inter county scene, but uh, the the internal counties, the individual counties, club championships are very very important and very very closely followed. Right. Now, Ticketmaster's position in the Irish market, I mean, it's a big, big, big player, isn't it? Anybody who's been to a concert or an event or indeed a sports match will will probably have interacted with Ticketmaster at some point over the last uh, few years. Do we know how big Ticketmaster is in relation to the Irish market and what other players are operating uh, in opposition to Ticketmaster? Yeah, we do roughly know the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission investigation, which ran for, I think, almost three years, that established that Ticketmaster had a 90% share of the market, both by by volume, by the actual number of tickets for various events sold, and also in terms of the actual turnover, although the, the, the CCPC's report doesn't reveal the turnover. And so far, Ticketmaster haven't revealed their sales figures either. Um, so yeah, it's it's got. Th- there's no reason to believe that that figure has changed dramatically. Maybe some of its competitors have have eroded into some of that business. Uh, I don't know. Is the honest answer? We're I'm trying to find out from the CCPC what the current position is. It certainly is not radically different from what it was three years ago. There are a number of competitors operating in the market. 
uh, some of them Irish, some of them multinational. Um, there is Eventbrite in Cork, which is a, a multinational that provides systems to, um, to the individual uh, event organizers and operators themselves to provide their own ticketing. It's also an Irish company that does that, that's been... Uh, that's been reasonably successful in 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 a lot of areas, and that's called Future Ticketing. That's based in Tullamore in County Offaly. There's a further one called Ticket Stall, which is in County Mayo, and they're more focused on arts and arts events. And then there's Tickets.ie, which, um, well, basically that ran into trouble during COVID for obvious reasons. Nobody was going to anything. Um, that has since been rescued, and and that is operating as a, a way as well, but. According to the CCPC, these organizations between them have or had around 10% of the market in 2020. What's the GA saying about this story, Barry? Well, what they're saying is that uh, Ticketmaster is their preferred ticketing solutions provider, which basically means that the organization would prefer that uh, all its county boards use Ticketmaster. They also say that, however, not all counties sign up to Ticketmaster, and that not all counties have so far signed up to Ticketmaster under the terms and conditions that we discussed earlier in the programme. So it is saying that some counties can and do go with other providers, although it does not say what the other providers are, what the other companies are. Uh, on that basis, the GA maintains that, that Ticketmaster is definitely not an exclusive provider. It's merely a preferred provider. If Ticketmaster is interested in selling tickets on behalf of counties, it would suggest that there's there must be quite an audience out there for these club games. Yeah, there is. I, uh, don't don't ask me how big, but um, I can tell you that that club championship games are all very well attended. And do we know how many counties have signed up with Ticketmaster? We don't. The GA says that that actually has yet to be finalised. So, in other words, some comp- some counties are still in the process of discussing this and haven't made final decisions in relation to it. Okay, Ticketmaster, um, and it sold tickets, didn't it, for the Coldplay, Coldplay concerts in uh, Croke Park, uh, which sold out pretty quickly, and there was a huge controversy uh, around that. Um, this, this whole issue of selling uh, tickets for events like concerts and matches and so on can be quite controversial, and uh, substantial fees can be made out of these as well. We all know about the admin fees that you have to pay on top of your concert uh, ticket. Yeah, that is correct. Both Coldplay, Taylor Swift and various other events all sold out very quickly. Um, I mean, Ticketmaster was in the firing line just a few days ago over this, but they maintain that, look, we, we say to people that these are limited, which they are. I mean, uh, every venue has a limited capacity and that people should buy as quickly as they possibly can. What's Ticketmaster saying about this story when you contact them, Barry? Uh, not a whole pile. Uh, they maintain that they comply fully with the, uh, the the 2020 court order, and they don't comment on they don't comment on the, the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of their business. Uh, they don't comment on financial matters, and their uh, Irish holding companies are all unlimited, which means they don't have to they don't have to file accounts, they don't have to file figures. So we have at the moment no great insight into how much money they're making from this. You mentioned earlier the 2020 High Court order um, that is consented to, uh, which kind of limits its use of exclusive deals and upfront payments and so forth. So is the CCPC likely to have a look at this specific GA deal to see if this might infringe that order in any way? Um, We've put that to them. And what the CCPC say is we are constantly monitoring... um, Ticketmaster's compliance with the order. 
So they are presumably aware of it and they they haven't raised, they certainly haven't raised any red flags with us in relation to it. Um, but I think we could take it that the CCPC is aware of this deal and aware of the particular terms and conditions that Ticketmaster is offering the counties. All right, Barry Halloran, thank you for joining us. Thank you. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Arthur Beasley, Ronan Reid and Barry Halloran for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode of Inside Business. And thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.